This is Tashirisa Holta. I am the author of The 545 to Cannes, and this is my second book. My first was a novel titled When the Elephants Dance. I wrote The 545 to Cannes in three weeks by hand, and most of it from the window seat of a train. This book wasn't planned. I was supposed to be taking a vacation, but the south of France and the Italian Riviera, the daily train rides, the people we met, the food, and the wine were so intoxicating that I began to write. The 545 to Cannes begins with a title story about a young American millionaire who suffers from bipolarity and who takes an impulsive trip back to Cannes where he first met his wife in hopes of recapturing the happiness they once had. But an accident occurs that derails them all. What happens to him echoes through each story, and yet each story stands alone. It is similar in structure to the movie Crash. This particular story, The Flame, is about Serena Barr, a young woman who lives in the shadow of her husband's true love, a woman she knows only by the name Claudette, who ran off, leaving both Serena's husband and her mother-in-law brokenhearted. Serena feels like an interloper for attempting to take Claudette's place. She desperately wants more information about this woman because she feels she can't compete with what she can't see. So she goes to this open house that may or may not belong to her rival. This is called The Flame. Serena Barr chooses that precise moment to escape as husband and mother-in-law proceed downstairs to breakfast at the Ritz-Carlton. There are so few windows of opportunities in a day. One must take them when one can. Her headaches were threatening, she told them. The two of you go on without me. Perhaps I can join you for lunch. Besides, I am sure you have much to discuss. She can barely stand to be in the same room with Laurent's mother. The woman is so draining, so quietly demanding with her sloped, defeated shoulders and her endless heavy sighs of self-pity. Serena wonders what the woman was like in her youth, when she was physically stronger. She hates to refer to her as Laurent's mother, because then she will become her mother-in-law. Serena had been perfectly happy to have son and mother not talking. In fact, it had taken a lie to have Laurent pick up the woman five nights ago. The woman woke them in the dead of night, and they drove down from Paris. Paris! Imagine, pretending to have her, had her purse stolen. How pathetic. How juvenile. Why doesn't she simply relinquish her claim to Laurent? Serena is certain that Madame Barr's memory lapses are poised to win Laurent back. She puts on her sunglasses and hurries across the lobby, a bird in flight. A quick glance in the direction of the dining area confirms that mother and son are seated at a corner table deep in conversation. Above them, several very large pictures of famous actors and actresses. One in particular catches her eye, the flavor of the year. Why the fascination with cinema? She understands the film festival, but still, it seems a silly gesture. Why not portraits of the movie stars instead of these petrified photographs? Why not art? It cheapens the hotel. Ah, the air outside is lovely, to be free of them both. When Laurent is with that woman, his entire being is focused on her like a footman to a queen. Serena is unused to being second best. When she is with Laurent and that woman, she loses her place. Back home in Brazil, she is the one treated like royalty. She takes her white Hermes scarf and wraps it over the top of her head and around her neck. It floats behind her like a flag of surrender. A lift of the wrist and the slim silver watch shimmers in the sun. The face and sleekness of the watch are pleasing to her. There is time. Her pace slows. How Laurent held his tongue when he saw the watch she purchased. He skimps on me, but would he have done so with his old flame? Did she bring the invitation? In goes the wrist with the silver watch, disappearing into the depths of her fashionable patent leather bag. What does one wear to an open-house viewing? 
an 18th century chateau. She isn't even sure if it is their house, though she had heard Laurent whispering over the headlines in the local paper. Do you think it is Claudette's husband? Claudette's chess? The man who was hit by the taxi, Madame Barr asked, could it be? It gives no mention of his wife except that she is firmly of Cannes and that the deceased, Jorgensen, is the son of a millionaire. One cannot be sure. You must not try to contact her, Laurent. Leave well enough alone. Even now, Serena's body cringes. How she hates that name, Claudette. Laurent's old flame, and not even an old flame, but a torch he carries in his sleep whenever the woman's name escapes his lips. And what's worse, his mother had been the one to warn him not to call her. There must have been a look in Laurent's eyes. There must have been. Oh, why she had she not been sitting in the same room, so that she could have witnessed the exchange, could have witnessed the kind of look that crossed his face? Was it a look of pity, sadness, or regret? But, ah, if she had been present, the two of them would not have been discussing his old flame. They enjoy excluding her. But it wasn't the paper that had started her on this mission. It must have been fate. Shortly thereafter, she phoned her friend Camille, a real estate agent, and Camille mentioned a chateau that was on the market. Too large for Laurent and you, I know, but if you wish to see it, I can get you an invitation to the open house. No, probably out of our league. What is wrong with it? Why does the owner wish to sell? Well, I'm not supposed to disclose this, but you see, the owner was American. He died unexpectedly in Cannes last week, and the widow wishes to sell the property. I have seen it, only ten rooms, but they are substantial. It is amazing. Repeat that again, Serena asked. Was it possible? It is amazing. No, not that part. There, there it is. Her hand closes around the envelope with impeccable stationery announcing in black type an open house, by invitation only. France, premier real estate, proudly presents a magnificent 18th century chateau above Cannes with an unobstructed view of the sea and the mountains. Superb property, both 2,000 square meters of living space, plus 800 square meters of independent apartments on four hectares of grounds with incomparable trees. Pool house, automatic sprinkler system, greenhouse, outdoor lights, automatic portal. Very complete, with quality materials. Protected site with direct access to the sea. Beautiful monumental stairway and courtyard. Garage for five cars and outbuildings. Fully equipped kitchen, dining room, and two salons. Guardian's house of approximately 80 square meters, French gardens. Region above Cannes, price 10,050,000 euros. Address 9854A Rue Saint-Pierre, viewing from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. By invitation only. Was this wrong what she was doing, the self-imposed circuit errand? Not an errand, a mission. She pauses for a moment in the crisp morning light. The air from the sea is invigorating, intoxicating. Cannes has always had this effect on her, but not on Laurent. He prefers Paris. Cannes is too sultry. He likes the shade. Give him X where he grew up, where all his memories are shaded from the glare, where his memories of that girl still linger behind every tree-lined street. She used to climb these trees, you see, when we were children. She was such a good climber. Are you sure you want to know this, Serena? It's such an old affair. Of course she wanted to know. She wants to know everything. No, that's not true. At first she didn't care in the least, not until he started talking in his sleep. But is this wrong, what she's doing? Is she a schoolgirl searching for old pictures? Of course it is wrong. Will that stop her? Of course not. She wants to see once and for all. Laurent swears he has no more pictures of the girl, but Serena is certain Madame Barr has plenty, probably squirreled away in those old moth-smelling box of hers in the closet. 
She must look out for herself. She has a valid curiosity, a burning curiosity, and nothing will satisfy her until she sees for herself. How can she fight what she cannot see? What if the girl were to search for Laurent even now? She needs to be prepared. The real estate woman, Madame Garlaine, is smartly dressed in lavender with a matching jacket of the same length with slits for pockets, as if she herself could take up residence in the large house. Auburn hair nodded in a French twist above her head and rose-colored lipstick. She greets Serena in the entryway where a large turquoise pot housing a tall palm is situated, and on the hallway secretary a silver bucket of long-stemmed yellow roses. The agent's eyes reach over the invitation to take inventory of Serena's attire. Serena instantly feels inappropriately dressed. She is not quite sure what the dress should be, but she feels certain that what she is wearing is below standard. She knows I'm only here to look, she can tell. How did you hear about us, demoiselle, may I ask? A friend of mine, we, I am searching for a house. The woman's lips turn upward in a wry smile. This is more than just a house, as you will see. Please, entre. There are others viewing the property. If you have any questions, I will be here. The garden was designed by Lenotte. There is a house for the guardian. If you wish a recommendation, I have the names of several reliable keepers. Wonderful, Serena says. May I? She asks because the woman still blocks the entryway. Of course, please do not touch any of the furnishings. Her smile is pleasant, but Serena feels as if the woman is mocking her. Which, for all she knows, Serena could buy ten such homes. It can't be the way she is dressed. She's wearing her Hermes scarf, her Ralph Lauren white suit. It is only when she steps into the foyer that she sees what the other three couples are wearing. A man in Levi's leather loafers and a pink polo shirt and a woman in a beige peasant-style dress with short sleeves and a beautiful tan. The man of the next couple is in trousers and a silk shirt, the woman in sandals, sandals, and a tank top and blue peasant skirt. She herself looks too severe. The people move by her, inclining their heads the way one would at a museum. It isn't what they are wearing so much as they are bearing. Compose yourself. It's not as if you're some lowlife. Your husband is a respected engineer. You yourself, an upcoming Brazilian artist. Remember that as you look at them. Probably they are just looky-loos themselves. Besides, that is not what you are here for. Right. You are here to see, to sniff for clues. She takes a deep breath and for the first time brings her attention to the house itself, the texture and quality of the room she is in. To gaze at the impeccable taste is a sip of fine wine. Her eyes land on an oil on canvas spanning the length of the cobalt blue leather sofa below it. Could it be? An original Modigliani? She unhinges her sunglasses from her eyes and steps forward, one hand on her chest, the other reaching out toward the painting. Bright colors of ripe green, tomato, red, copper, indigo blue assault her. Amadeo Modigliani, do you know of him? Madame Gerlain asks. He is Italian. Only from the galleries, the museums. Please, I must ask that you not touch the furnishings. Yes, excuse me. She snatches back her hand, which is just inches from the canvas. Madame Gourlain inclines her head, leaving Serena to study the portrait more carefully. She wants to jump with joy at the beauty of the work, the color. Nothing makes her happier than a beautifully conceived work of art. She is like a child again. The portrait of a couple reclining on a sofa a silver-haired Scandinavian-looking man in a suit and a woman, a redhead seated beside him. It is exquisite. I've never seen this one. It's a private collection, of course. The owner's grandparents. It's not for sale. None of the furnishings are. The owner's name, Serena asked. 
They're asked to be kept anonymous. Yes, of course, Rena answers. The house is a wealth of easy elegance. Nothing is spared. Everything of the highest quality. How had Laurent described his Claudette? The woman who was too lazy to teach, who preferred to work in a restaurant? She was such a good climber. Serena can see where the owners expanded the windows for a larger view of the sea, a mahogany-paneled library, and throughout her wanderings the paintings follow her. Everything done with such love, such care, that the chateau is a sanctuary, a delight. She walks into the master bedroom unexpectedly, and there is a portrait, a black-and-white photo of a woman, not at all like the stiff photographs in the Ritz-Carlton. There is movement here. The portrait is of a woman with long, wavy, shoulder-length hair, the light dancing around her. The woman is looking over her shoulder with a wide smile, as if she was walking away and the photographer called to her lovingly. Serena's breath catches. The woman's smile is open, seductive. The dress she wears gossamer in texture has spaghetti straps. One has fallen over the shoulder. Her thick bangs are draped over one eye. Her eyes are light-colored. Blue? Gray? Serena searches for a name. The house so full and yet everything tucked away neatly. Everything smells fresh and citrus-scented. Fresh-cut flowers in almost every room. Old farm-looking buckets filled with roses on top of Italian marble. The fireplace in this room, massive, yet light touches of the whimsical. Everything in balance with everything else. The house speaks of harmony. She tiptoes to the hallway in time to see a couple retreating down the hall where a stained-glass window beckons, then hurries back into the room. She steps quickly to the cedar closets and pulls the door open. There are clothes still hanging. The woman is petite. The dress is like the one she has seen in fashion magazines. One in particular catches her eye. Frivolous cream satin with large yellow roses, and yet beautiful. The other dresses are understated, small sweaters on matching wooden hangers. And to the right, men's clothing, suits, tuxedos, an entire wardrobe. This was their summer home? She envies this woman in the portrait. She imagines her barefoot running through the long corridors of this house. This woman who may or may not be Claudette. This woman who has everything, even Laurent's love, after all these years. Serena has the urge to gather a pair of scissors and cut the dress in half. Not all the dresses, just this one that speaks of sunshine and gifts given in adoration, and not a care in the world. Can I help you, mademoiselle? The real estate woman is standing in the bedroom. How long has she been standing there? I'm sorry, I, I wanted to see how large the closets were. I had no idea. I was mesmerized by the clothing. Such beautiful dresses the owner has. How old is she? I'm sorry, I should have mentioned, the house is still fully furnished. The madame has not yet requested the clothing to be shipped to her. She will not do it herself, Serena asks. The moment she speaks the word, she wishes to fly after them. They are like wayward children laughing over their shoulders at her. Of course not. When one has this much money, one does not pack things for oneself. She sends others to do so. Serena feels put in her place. She nods, points in the direction of the portrait. Lovely picture. The smile on the real estate agent is thin. For a moment, Serena expects she will be evicted. Don't be silly for accidentally looking into a closet. No, for thinking such things, for wanting to tear the dress to pieces. Oh, for that. She feels almost hysterical from the pressure. The real estate agent follows her out of the room. The phone rings and Serena is saved, granted a reprieve, but it is a cell phone, so she is not as free as she thinks. Ah, Madame Jorgensen, we, oui, it is proceeding nicely. The house has many visitors. Do not worry, Madame, leave it to me. I shall take care of it. 
Serena's ears are straining. A name. Just give me a name and I will leave this place. The agent has seen her hovering and lowers her voice, giving Serena her back. Serena wanders into a study. How envious she feels. This woman of this house lives like a princess. The man from the newspaper is smiling at her. He catches her off guard, his small portrait on a woman's desk. Something about the room says it belongs to the woman, the Cleopatra-styled white reading chair, and, of course, the picture of the man in a crystal frame. She feels churlish suddenly. Her mother would be ashamed of her. Have you forgotten the reason this house is being sold? A man died, a young man. Serena studies the picture. If this is Claudette's Chaz, as Laurent had called him in the picture, then this would be the man Claudette eventually left Laurent for. The man is unmistakably handsome, striking, nothing at all like her bookish Laurent. The woman lived like a princess, and here is the real estate agent barking like a circus dog for her, calling the woman Madame as if she were her superior. We, oui, Claudette, we will speak again. Thank you, Madame Guerlain says, smiling into the phone. And with a click of efficiency, the agent hangs up. Serena is frozen. The princess in the portrait is indeed Laurent's Claudette. Mademoiselle, I do not wish to ask you again. Do not touch things. I must ask you to leave. Serena looks to her hands in embarrassment. She's holding the small portrait of Chas Jorgensen in her hands. But I, I do not think this house is for you, eh? The real estate woman asks. Serena feels humiliated, her cheeks burning as the woman escorts her towards the door. But I have not seen the upstairs. My husband and I may want to make an offer. Thank you, mademoiselle. Please have your agent contact us with your bid. Yes, of course, Serena smiles. I will do that. She finds the door shut in her face. When it is an open house, she feels a headache coming. This one will put her out for the rest of the evening. This Claudette is adored by all. The real estate agent, the house that showcases her presence... How can Serena compete with a princess, a woman loved by two men, missed by a jilted mother-in-law? When Claudette left, Maman was devastated. Oh, to be ignorant again, to have the woman be only a name to which she could attach warts and a pinched face. How will she ever sleep now? She has opened Pandora's box. She knows what the competition looks like. Only her essence could fill such a house, and Serena cannot compete, cannot. Serena points herself in the direction of the hotel. Her feet are leaden, her head throbbing, throbbing. Why fight it? Why not simply surrender to the ugly brutality of it, so that the pain blocks out every worry, every insecurity? Let this be your world. Yes, she whispers, I must go gracefully, succumb. She assumes the air of a martyr and suddenly notices that she has gone down the wrong block. She meant to take the next one over, not this narrow alleyway. A young girl with a mincing voice asks, Madame, do you wish to purchase a puppy? Serena must reach down the lengthy corridor of her mind from where she has retreated from the pain to answer, What is it? A puppy, Madame. Would you like to purchase one? Maman will not let me keep her. A puppy, you say? Serena crouches, pleased at being referred to as Madame and not Mademoiselle. Through the white glaze of her pain, she reaches out for the puppy. She is near the train station when it happens. She had thought to avoid the shopping crowd and go the circuitous route. There is a whirl of activity around her, young boys kicking a soccer ball, men and women er emerging from the train station. She feels her bag being lifted, and for a moment she thinks it is the wind. She stumbles back and lands on her backside, not bruised, just shaken. Madame, are you all right? the young girl asks, looking afraid, still coddling the squirming puppy. My purse, my watch, she screams. 
On this day, she has been stripped of her possessions. They are seated in the hotel suite. Room service has just left a cart of silver-covered plates and tea. Madame Barr crouches beside a dazed Serena. I wanted to avoid the crowds. I suppose I was in a daze. Why in a daze? Were you hurt? Laurent asked with concern. No, I don't know. I My head was hurting again. You see, I thought to take a walk, that perhaps the air would do me good. I stopped to talk to a child, an adorable girl, and then there was pushing, shoving. Shh, child, let me take care of your hand, her mother-in-law reaches out, and Serena is surprised to find that the woman's hands are warm, not at all cold and death-like as she expected. She has a warm cloth and is gently ministering to the cut and bruises. My watch, Serena protests. We'll shop for one today, a new one to replace the old, just like Maman's necklace. Laurent is so full of energy, he makes her ears ring. Laurent, let me take care of her, her mother-in-law says gently. Serena lies back as Laurent brings the cushions around her and lets his mother attend to Serena. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit www.kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.